Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. You're in uh, from Atlanta, Kathleen Edelman. She's a master's in communication. Um, she is a counselor, a Christian life coach in what's called the Temperaments. And she came in, we were on uh, last day, she brought her book that just came out last year, about a year ago to this day, um, entitled, I Said This, You Heard That. I know nobody, that's not happened to anybody but me, I'm sure. Um, but she began to talk to us about, from Ephesians 4.29, um, how do we speak wholesome talk? How do we speak language and words that build up others according to their needs, not just speak out of our own brokenness or our own neediness, but listen to others. So it was about speaking and listening. And I made the case that I don't think there's anything more important probably in our world today than learning how to love people better and learning how to uh, speak love to people better, even people we might disagree with, right? And so we began that journey last week. I was a guinea pig all day, in case you didn't know it. I was called a wiggler at all services. I'm still I had to go home and ice my ego over that one, but I'm okay. Um, but we're excited because we, have, uh, we had 200 of Kathleen's books here. Do you realize we sold those out by the end of this service? Um, we didn't even have any for 11.15. And uh, we have hundreds of folks that have signed up to get into a small group. Six weeks, okay? This isn't like getting into a small group for the rest of your life. Just six weeks to jump into a small group. Um, and we're going to go through these temperaments together and learn the power of Ephesians 4.29, to speak better, to listen better. So those groups start today. Um, if you go on our website, you've heard it at our website, garfieldchurch.org, right under the welcome, there's a little square that says, you can do it in your iPhone today. I don't care if you do it when I'm preaching, because I'm going to tell you something, honestly, being in a small group is way more important than what's going to happen here on Sunday morning. So get in one, jump in, garfieldchurch.org, little square says, I said this, small groups. You jump in, there's 16 small groups. We've got um, almost three a day. They're starting today on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday. I feel like I should say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Anyhow, um, they're, they're all those days. And even on Friday, we have an online group. Uh, they'll be meeting in people's homes. They'll be meeting at our campuses. And on Friday noon, if you want break at work or if you can't travel that well, Pastor Kurt, our online pastor, God bless all of you who are worshiping with us online today. Um, I'm talking really, really fast. I need to slow down. Um, but Kurt will be leading that on Friday, so you can jump in that too. No groups on Saturday, but groups all week long. Hundreds of folks are in. My wife and I signed up for ours. The staff are jumping in. I hope you'll do that. It's going to be a very, very meaningful time. So in, in that, we began this journey. I said this, you heard that. And now we're going to be six weeks, the rest of September and October, with folks meeting in groups and praying about this. I, our team thought, what could we do from a teaching series to kind of support that? And so we came up with a series entitled, Jesus Said This, right? You heard that. 
Jesus said this, you heard that. And what this is about is the, what scholars call the hard sayings of Jesus. That's what they're referred to. And there's a lot of hard sayings, right? And uh, preachers tend to stay away from them because they don't want to get shrapnel. Well, our team came up with the idea, but you see who they put on the front lines. So I have today talk about how to hate your parents. And if you think that's bad, next week I got to talk about sex, lust, and love. So if you have middle school students, edit it at your own risk, right? But, I, you know, we're in this thing with hard sayings, and, and there are some tough things Jesus said. So we want to look at them, and the best advice I ever got on the hard sayings of Jesus was to treat them like hard candy. Now, what do I mean by that? If you get a piece of chocolate, you get a box of chocolates. If you get a piece of chocolate, <laughs> hey, I can do that pretty well. Um, my Jenny. Anyhow, uh, I really, I love that. Uh, all right. Major Diane, <laughs> it just keeps coming. I can't stop it. Uh, if you get a, a piece of chocolate and it's filled with cream and you bite into that, right, you can just enjoy it. But if you take a piece of hard candy and you just bite into it, who are you going to see that week? Your dentist, right? And that's what somebody told me one time with the hard sayings of Jesus. Treat it like hard candy. You don't just bite into it. But you kind of let it sit there and you spend some time with it and let it dissolve and work with it. And ultimately you'll get, you'll get to the end of that, right? And that's what we have to do. We have to spend some time. And I'm not just talking 30 minutes here. I'm talking days and weeks and months and years reflecting on the depth of these things because we know that our Lord is the Prince of Peace. He's not out to injure us. We have a God who does not abuse his or her children. We have a God who invites us into fellowship, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. So even these hard sayings are for our benefit, not for our harm. So we're going to jump right into the end of the pool today. And look at the wonderful hard saying we have today. It says in Luke 14, 25, Jesus was going around. Do you like my new toy? Yeah. Yeah. I know. They gave it to me. I'm so nervous. Like we had it last week and now I got to figure out what to do with it. It's great. They, they spoil me up here, but then they say, go ahead, you know, figure it out. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, right? And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, spouse and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a harsh word, right? If you want to follow me, you need to hate your parents, you need to hate your spouse, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even yourself. What's going on here, right? What's in the depth of this? Well, there's more than meet the surface, because when we read that on the surface, when we bite into the hard candy, it seems like Jesus is saying, hate your parents, right? And you would say, what? That's absurd, right? Or you might say, that's terrible. Or you might say to me, that's unnecessary. I already hate my parents, right? Like, you know, and there's, there's hard candy for us in that too. Like, what is Jesus getting at here? First off, there's something deeper going on because Pastor Scott, our campus pastor at South Euclid, we were wrestling with this this week because we preach out of the same text no matter where we are. And um, he reminded me there was a scholar that said, don't forget how this 14th chapter, just a few verses down, ends. And it ends with these words that say... Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's how it ends. Now, I don't know if you know where we hear these words a lot. In the parables, 
Every time Jesus tells a parable, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, when he tells a parable, a story, a little mini-movie of the human condition, he's almost saying, you know, don't just get caught up in the words or the facts, but dig deep, because there's a, there's a point to this story. And so he is saying, when he says this hard saying, listen, spend some time, dig deep in what I'm trying to say. And the truth is, this passage actually has nothing to do with hating your parents. What it has to do is with a term that Jesus uses twice in those three words. If any would be my what? Disciple. And unless somebody carries their cross, they cannot be my disciple. This is a teaching in three verses all about discipleship. And so I want to try in just you know, 20 some minutes, 25 minutes, to, to give us four points of this. But before I do, what does that word disciple mean that Jesus uses? It comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is... Okay, I guess we could work on this one. Mathetes. I say I've worked all night on my Greek. Mathetes. You'll hear some people sometimes say, if you're a preacher, say Matthias. That's where we get that word. That's like um, Greeklish. It's like, it's just a, it's like a, I had a friend who grew up on, on, in the east side of Youngstown. He was Puerto Rican. He said, Chip, we're smarter than you guys. We speak two languages. We speak Spanglish. Well, this is Greeklish. I'm trying to figure, speak one language. Um, and you'll hear Matthias, but it really is Mathetes, and what it means is literally a student and even better, an apprentice. See, if, it's, if it refers to a student, it refers to a student that's searching, seeking on their way to something. But the best interpretation of what a disciple is is an apprentice. See, we've lost in Western society, we've lost that whole image of apprenticeship, but there's places in the world till still today where that's very, very important, and in first century, apprenticeship was a real deal. Like, if you were going to grow, I mean, you didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or, or you know, uh, community college or uh, Ohio State. You went to be apprenticed. So Jesus, whose father, Joseph, was a teton in the Greek, a builder, either a woodcutter or, or, or a stonemason, we don't know, but a builder. Jesus would have been raised, apprenticed in that trade. And, and so there was people who would want to learn more about God and... I said that like an old southern god. Um, I've got to mind my words here. People want to learn more about God and grow in their faith and learn more about theology. They would apprentice themselves to a rabbi. And you would become that rabbi's disciples. And, and young rabbis, usually men, how many know Jesus was the first rabbi to call women to be his disciples? That, that rocked the boat too. But other rabbis would have young men and they would say to Jewish men, may you be caught up in the dust of your rabbi. And what that meant is those who've traveled with me to Israel this past year in 17, we learned that, you know, walking in that area, it's a very arid land, it's very dusty. And so what they were saying back then is, may you be cl so close to your rabbi that when he's walking and the dust kicks up from his feet, it'll fall on you. And that's the relationship that Jesus is talking about here. I want you to be apprentice to me. I don't just want you to be a student. I want you to be an apprentice. Like if you're a student, if, you're, if, you've, you, know, if you like to bird watch, right? You like birds. We have bird feeders at my house, and we got our little books, and whenever new birds come in, Tiana and I get the book, and we check it off. But, you know, we look at it here and there, or we go, you can go to the library and look at a little presentation. See, that's just being a student. You can take it or leave it, come and go. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that kind of relationship. I'm talking about being so caught up with me that this relationship changed your life. 
changes your very relationships. In fact, if you're a bird-watching apprentice, you like go to school. You like take classes. Anybody know what you major in? Man, you guys are so smart. I had to Google that. Ornithology, right. Look, like everybody knew that. I'm the dumbest guy in the class. Um, but yeah, I, I'm so impressed. It was going to be total silence. I can go, ornithologist, you know, wear my speckled glasses. Um, but you go and major in that. You take classes, right? You buy equipment. You, you have a room in your house that's just pictures of birds and that. I know this because when we were in Israel uh, in, in February 19, the last group that went, we climbed up this wonderful cliff, very historic, up, uh, uh, you know, looking over the Sea of Galilee. It's very historical. We're looking at this, and it's amazing. And then we were walking our way down, and there were all these Europeans. We could tell they weren't Israelis. They weren't Palestinians. And remember this, Victoria? They had all their photo equipment and like, zoom lenses and all this stuff. And we went down. We just talked to them and said, where are you from? They're from Finland. What are you doing? They said, we're looking at birds. And they were, they were looking to take pictures. I mean, they were so excited. There was a particular bird that only comes out in Israel, that only comes out that month of the year, and they had come all the way from Finland with all their equipment to take that one bird. And I thought, here we are in the place of the sacred sites of Christianity and Judaism and Islam, and y'all are looking for birds. <laughs> but they were apprentices. See, and that's what Jesus is talking to us. I want, I want to get involved in your life where it unsettles some things where you're going to have to change kind of what you think and how you study and what pictures you take and what you look at and what you read and, and, and who you spend time with and, and, and what is sacred to your heart. And so what he's telling us in this story is a couple things. The first one that I read is he's saying to us that there are no double standards in discipleship. No double standards. Okay, Chip, flush that out. I will. Look how the verse starts. It starts by saying... Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to who? Them, he said. Unless you hate your father and mother and all these words. He's talking to the crowds. Like he's walking with his inner circle of disciples, his 12. But now he turns, he's talking to everybody. See, this is something we need to learn in the church because kind of we think there are different levels of like Christians or church members. Like, you know, there's the folk that, well, I come once in a while when it's convenient and I pray when I'm really in trouble. But there's those real devoted types, right? Like Peter, James, John, Mary, Magdalene. I mean, they're, they're the saints. Jesus isn't talking to the saints. He's not talking to insiders. He's talking to all of us. And he's saying, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be apprentice to me, this is for you. This is for all of you. I remember there was a woman in our church. I, she's gone on to God now, but I don't have permission from her family. So I'll call her Susan. That's not her real name. Susan was so devout. She was always in her Bible. She was always, she was encouraging everybody in this church. Whenever somebody was in trouble, she'd write them a little note. You know, even when she got homebound, she would send them letters and that. And I remember there was somebody who was just kind of, you know, marginally coming to church and other things, and I heard they were really ill and they were potentially facing something that could be life-threatening. And, and, I, and I went to their home and I went to them and I wanted to, you know, talk to them a bit. And we were talking and I said to them, I said, uh, the John Wesley question, I said, how is it with your soul? If you want to have a deep conversation sometime over coffee with a friend, just ask him that. Not how is it with your, you know, health and how is it with your, you know, your career. How's it with your soul? 
And she said to me, I'll never forget, she, well, you know, she said, Susie wrote me this wonderful note, and Susie, she's just so close to God, and she has these wonderful prayers, and, and I was telling you, I said, look, I didn't ask how it was with Susie's soul. I know how it is with her soul. How is it with your soul? That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about these inner circle guys. They're just my, I'm just training them for, for leadership to carry on what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for you, right? Well, how is it with you? What's going on in your life, right? And he's saying, don't, don't say there's double standards. Don't say, well, they're the, they're, the, they're the real faithful people. I'm just kind of marginal people. Jesus won't let us off the hook there, right? He doesn't say to, his, he doesn't say to the crowd, I come to give you life and life abundant, and then turn to his disciples and say, but you know, there's going to be trials and troubles and tribulations. No, he tells us all. He invites us all into that. So that's point one. Point two is he's reminding us that discipleship is not following your own agenda with a little Jesus thrown in. <laughs> it's not taking your own life and your own personal agendas and goals and then, okay, I'll go to church a little bit, sprinkle a little Jesus over that, and maybe it's like, maybe he'll, he'll pull for me. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, look, he says, unless you hate your father, mother, spouse, children, um, Sisters, brothers, and I know you hate that word hate. I'm going to get to that one minute. Give me a second. But what he's basically saying is in a, in a, in a traditional family-based society like Israel was, like we live in a Western individualistic society, so we may miss it. When he says father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, you know what he's giving you? A course of your life, right? When you're born into that society, it's father and mother, then when you grow up and move out into marriage, which was expected in first century Judaism, right? You ended up with a, now your own nuclear family and children. And then you're extended. And brother and sister there actually could mean friends. You know, in the New Testament, they, this is your brother, this is your sister. So it's talking about the normal progression of your life. And when Jesus says, unless you put that second in me first, you're going to miss this. In other words, I love what Jesus is saying. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, don't come to me with the outline for your life. Tell me how it needs to turn out and then try to fit me into that, right? Like, when you think about what the Bible says about Jesus, like, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not one thing came into being. That Jesus holds the universe together, Colossians says, with the power of his Word, and we want to ask that person into our lives to be our personal assistant? Right? Like, I've, I'll tell you how things got to work out, Lord. I'll never forget, I was at a major conference in Tampa with 5,000 church leaders, and I had the privilege to meet this uh, uh, Oscar Muriru. I can't say his last name very well, but he was a, a main pastor in Kenya. He's got thousands of thousands. I mean, his church in Kenya has grown. They're in 32 locations right now. Look him up, Nairobi Chapel. It's just Christianity's growing in Africa right now 10 times the rate of the population. 11% of Christians live in North America, by the way. I hope you know that. The majority of Christians are living in the lower hemisphere. Christianity's not in trouble. The American church is in trouble. Christianity's not in trouble. It is exploding in Africa and Asia. And Oscar got up at this conference. Here was the 5,000 of the elite people in the church, and we're all leaders and church planners. And, want to do and Oscar said, I, I need to tell all you something. He said, God is not interested in helping you 
with your plan for your life. Ouch! All of a sudden, it got real quiet in there. Before that, we were going, you know, our God, you know, we're all, whoa, God is not interested, he said, in helping you with your plan for your life. God is very interested in helping you with his plan for your life. That, that Jesus said, don't, don't try to fit me into your particular agenda, right? Don't, don't, I'm not interested in being used. I want to be first. I want to be your absolute. I want to be your primary, right? I want to be your rabbi that you're so intimate with, you're caught up in every step that I take, right? That you, you are that um, close and caught up with me. I need, you know, when Jesus said, hey, would you, why don't you follow me? And somebody says, well, first let me bury my father. And somebody else says, well, first let me go say goodbye to my family. Or first let me save up my pensions. Or first let me go through Bible 101 training. Or first, you know, I had somebody tell me, whatever's on the other side of the first, that's your real rabbi. That's your real God. That's your absolute. Jesus said there can be nothing else first. Not, not family, not even good things, right? Do you know, what, you know what idols are? Idols aren't just elevating bad things. Idols, the worst kind of idols, is taking very good things, family, career, you know, and turning them into ultimate things, right? And there's some idols that we really need to smash um, in the church um, that they really just want to bring up real quick. I've been doing a lot of teaching. Some of you know I travel around with Mark DeMoz. He's, a, he's the founder of Mosaic Church in Little Rock, and, and he is the um, executive director of Mosaic's Global Network, and his church and our church and the network. Uh, we're doing a national conference in November. We've got about 1,500 folks coming to Dallas. We've been flying around, and we will go meet at denominations or others' requests. We'll go meet with about 40 churches, and out of that, we'll, we'll teach, and then we'll take about seven of them. We'll take them through 10 months of training, and then they come back, to try to be a, a light for the other 40. And it's helping the churches become more diverse, which isn't just, this isn't political correctness. This isn't because of changing society. This is because it's biblically mandated. God said for us to pray what? Your kingdom come where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And Revelation says, 7-9 says, every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to worship God. So we better start practicing. And what we're trying to do with churches is help them quit looking inside and start looking outside. Well, we've learned there are three barriers to have that happen, and they're the same three barriers that are going to affect us from ultimately having Jesus as our number one in our life, okay? Tech department, I skipped these, but we can go back. They're the three Ps, I call them, personality, preference, and past experience. Those are the idols that we get hung up on that make it very, very hard for us to say, yes, Jesus, you first. We find this in churches. This, people are struggling to go out because what do I lose, right? Personality. Not, put that back up. Put that back up. Put that back up. Put that back up. Thank you. No, that one. That one. There. Good. Not that one. There it is. Poor Dave Jessica back to go, Personality preference, past experience. What I mean by that? Personality. We all have our personalities. That's what we're studying traits. We're studying temperaments. And why are we studying those? To worship ourselves? No. To discover what Copernicus taught us and Galileo taught us, that we're not the center of the universe. And as we learn ourselves, right, and we get in these groups and we learn about others better, we find out that God is a lover. He is, is not, there's no partiality with God. God creates whoever God wants to create. 
And our job is to learn to love each other across different personalities. Preferences, we all have our preferences. We go to faith or church or, or following Jesus the way we go to a restaurant. We open the menu, I'll take this, not that. I like this one, a little extra mustard, right? Like it's all about preference. Or it's past experience. This is the way I've experienced God. And if you haven't, poor you, right? And I, we experience this a lot of times that people are so stuck in the past. Daniel M. was here on Baptism Sunday, if you were here, and he talked about nostalgia, how we can look back. And he remembered this restaurant in Seattle where he met his wife. You remember Daniel was here? Some of you may not. You can go in our... And he said, man, I met my wife there and, and with this little blue roof on this restaurant by the Puget Sound and, and we were there and, and it, it was just magical. And he's like, man, the food was like the nectar of the gods. And what Daniel told us is that, that was like 20 years ago, that like two months before he came to Garfield, he had a speaking engagement in Seattle. If you remember, and he went back to that restaurant and he said the food was very average. <laughs> like we tend to remember these things on steroids. They're so beautiful, right? And the truth is he warned us that doing that can prohibit us from seeing what God's doing in our right now and in our soon-to-be. I had, I had a person, I got permission to share this. Someone came into our church, they were baptized a couple years ago, um, and they had been in church in about seven years, and they had been really, really wounded in a church and said, I'll never go back. Why people crawl in here and give us a second chance, I have no idea. But they did, and they found a, a different faith experience, and they were baptized and reaffirmed the baptism, and everything was great, and you know things were going great. And about a year after that, they came in my office, and they were talking to me, and said, you know, in our old church, we used to do things this way. And in our old church, when we did baptisms, here's how people dressed. And in our old church, you know, when we did prayer, I think house of prayer, I said, wait a minute, so you're now trying to recreate the church you left to come here. You hear? Jesus had a prescription for that. It's in Luke also. And they're going to throw it back up here. Now, Dave, you can hit it. Drum roll, please. No, I figured he wouldn't hit it. Like, no. <laughs> Here's what Jesus said earlier. He said to all, right, whoever wants to be my disciple, what, must deny themselves. That's giving up what? Personality. Take up their cross. That's giving up what? Preference. How many people want a cross? Right? And follow me. That's giving up past experiences, following me into the future. And so what Jesus is saying is, is you know, I, I don't want to be someone in your life to just give you a spiritual lift, a warm fuzzy at the end of a song or a sermon. I want to have a place of ultimate allegiance in your life before anything else I am. Don't use me at, with your life as the end and me to a means. Your life is a means, and I am the end. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So the, the last thing I want to tell you, and I know this is going to shock you, but Jesus is teaching us in this passage that discipleship is all about love. And you're saying, okay, Chip, come on now. I'm not stupid. I heard what this said. If you want to be my followers, hate your father and your mother, your, your spouse, your children. I heard that. I didn't hear love in this. Let me tell you something. Elie Wiesel, the great uh, chronicler of the Holocaust, he said one time that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference, not caring at all. Hate is still an emotion. And we're caught up with our English language of hate, right? And in, in, the, in the English language, hate always means uh, hating actively. 
But in the Hebrew language, it can be meaning hate comparatively, right? It's, it's, God can't, Jesus can't possibly be telling us to be hostile to these people. Be hostile to your father and mother. Be hostile to your spouse and your children. Be hostile to your brothers and sisters. Be hostile to yourself. How can he say that when he tells us to even love our enemies? To bless those who curse you. To in all things put others ahead of yourself. On the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And in one place he said it is wrong for you to even hate the wicked. So he can't be talking about be hostile. What's he talking about? He's talking about hate comparatively. That I want you to be so in love with me that all of the other your loves in your life pale in comparison that you could almost say they feel like hate. Because I want to I love you so much. I'm, you, I do love you so much. And I want you to love me that much that I will not eliminate the other loves in your life. I will fuel them. I will empower them. How many know the stars are out all day long? They're not out just at night. Does anybody know that? They're not. But we don't see them during the day. You know why? Oh, you all knew ornithology, but nobody knows the sun. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Gosh, he surprises me. I didn't think you'd get ornithology. I thought you'd get the sun. You all do this on purpose to me. I know it. You work with our tech department. I know it. No, we can't see the stars at night because of the light of the sun, right? But it doesn't mean the stars aren't there. And at night, we appreciate them, the brilliance of them, right? Do you understand that's what he's saying? I want to fuel you with such light and such love and such power that it'll fuel your love for others, that it'll make your marriage better, that it'll, it'll help you to love your children unconditionally. It'll help you be with your brothers and sisters whether you agree with them or not. I want to pour such love into your life that it'll fuel everything. That's why my marriage works. I told you, some of you are new. Everybody around here knows I met my wife in a nightclub. It's true. Perry and his wife met on a mission trip. They got the holy testimony. Mom and dad met on a nightclub. True story. I was so far from God, and I threw a line on her, you know, and everything. I've told the story many times. And the first words out of her mouth were, I believe in God. That's the first words out of her mouth. Do you know what she was telling me? I'm in love with Jesus. And you can dance with me, but we'll have to figure out where you'll fit into this thing. Right? And you know what? Our marriage has always worked because she doesn't look to me to fuel all her fantasy. We're going to talk about that next week. Inner desires, all the. No, I know. I realized that didn't really sound right. (laughs) With the topic next week, I get it. Pastor Terry's already moved ahead. Thank God my wife is not sitting here this morning. How do I get out of this? I don't have a clue. I really love my wife, okay? Um, no, but I do. But, but uh, the love of Christ fuels that thing. Because we're not looking to fulfill in each other what we can only get from God. Okay? And that's the love Jesus said I want to pour into you. I got to be first. Receive my love first and foremost. Take it all into yourself. And guess what? That will fuel the rest. 
of the story. So this is really an appeal to our heart. This isn't just about putting Jesus first. We th- always think discipleship means what? Obeying the rules, uh, following by will. Of course we do that. Of course it's called. But he said before you can ever do that, you need to love me first. What do you say to the Ephesian church? I know all your busyness. I know how you're following the Ten Commandments. I know how you're serving the poor, but you forgot something. You forgot your love you had for me at first. You forgot your first love. He's inviting us to fall in love with him one more time. Okay? And hear that closely, friends. Um, I'm going to close with this. Pastor Scott um, shared with me a book by Wilbur Reese as we were preparing for this. I never heard of Wilbur Reese. Um, the only Wilbur I knew was a pig. Um, uh-huh. That was Charlotte's Web, wasn't it? Just jumped into my head. I don't know where that came from. Um, but Wilbur Reese, he wrote a devotional, and the title of the devotional was, I want $3 worth of God. And I, I read that, and I, and I said, Scott, share with me that. And he shared with me this devotional, and here's what it said. I'm just going to read it to you, and I'm going to pray and sit down. He said, Wilbur Reese wrote this, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love someone different than me or to go pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Do you know what Jesus is appealing to in this passage? Why are you settling for $3 worth of God? When I came to give you everything. When I came to be your eternal bride and take you into my arms so that you can experience the unconditional love and acceptance you've been looking for. And that when you walk with me, that love will spill out into every relationship in your life. And it'll fuel it. And it'll give you courage for the journey. That's what he's inviting us to in this. I know it's strong language. It's hard candy. I hope I've helped you begin to journey with it just a little bit today. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Empower us. Overwhelm us with your love. Give us the courage to love you. So that in loving you, we may love others better. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship with our band as we close.